everybody. Welcome to the Large Nerdron Collider podcast, the podcast that's all about the geeky things happening in the world around us and how very excited we are about them. I'm Ariel Kasten, and with me, as always, is Jonathan Wish Upon a Star Strickland. I do The Rock myself. You do The Rock? Yeah, I've decided I'm doing a new thing where oh. I'm, I'm throwing in random song lyrics at the beginning of episodes. Oh, because either that was very inappropriate or like it's oh, you leave the role to somebody else. <laughs> no, no, it's uh, it, it, it predates it predates Dwayne the Rock Johnson. <laughs> that, that song's from our, our friend of the show, friend of the show, Tim Curry. Wait, is he a friend of the show? If I say it enough times, maybe it'll be true. <laughs> friend of the show, Tim Curry. Friend of the show, Tim Curry. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. How are you, Ariel? I'm good. I'm actually a little sleepy today. I did not get much sleep. So um, either this will be a very like succinct and curt episode or it's going to be bonkers. I don't know which, everyone. I, and I'm sorry either way. <laughs> I feel you. I got sleep, but I had like stress dreams and nightmares all night. And I want to say they were brought on by a pair of choices I made that together were bad choices. One was that I gave in to cravings and had some chicken nachos uh, and uh, had a lot of queso on them. And yeah, they're very delicious, but very rich. And I haven't been eating a lot of rich food recently. And bad choice number two was before I went to bed, I watched like two and a half episodes of the boys and that show ratchets up my anxiety so much that I think that that combination of rich food and anxiety uh, provoking entertainment led me to some very bad dreams. Back, back when I was watching the boys, I would always have to watch something else afterwards just because it, yeah, it made me feel so bad. Yeah, it was it was too late for me to watch anything else. It was already 11 p.m. And I was like, oh, no, I have made mistakes. See, and here I thought you were just getting ready for the spoopy season a little early because we're halfway through September. And I know many of our friends are already gearing up for Halloween. No, we'll be doing some Halloween decorating this weekend, actually. So we are starting to lean in that direction. And we will have a little bit of Halloween material in this episode. But we wanted to start off talking about something that we mentioned last week. You know, when we published our episode last Friday, it was technically the first day of D23, which is Disney's big fan expo. Uh, But all the stuff that everyone really cares about was announced on Saturday and Sunday. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, That being like Marvel, Star Wars and parks information. Like those were the big things that got revealed over the weekend. And obviously we couldn't report on them then because they hadn't happened yet. But uh, all those announcements and stuff have happened now. So we're going to chat about some of that and some of the material that came out of D23. Yeah. And there's a lot of it. So we're just going to kind of scattershot through it. Uh, The first of which is we got trailers for Hocus Pocus 2, which we have known is coming out for a while. I'm sure that's a real sentence I just said. Um, And the trailer for Disenchanted, which is the sequel to Enchanted, which if you're not familiar, because it came out a while ago at this point. Uh, Amy Adams is a princess, a Disney classic Disney cartoon princess who gets sucked into the real world and falls in love. And it's like a, a Roger Rabbit Disney princess story, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. It's 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 playing on the jokes of 
the various tropes in Disney princess movies in particular, Mm -hmm. and what would happen if one of those idealized cartoonish characters were pulled into the cynical world of modern day New York City. And uh, they had a lot of fun with it. You know, I actually had not seen Enchanted until I think last year. And like you said, it had been out for a while and I had it on DVD. Like I owned a copy. I just hadn't sat down and watched it. And then one day out of the blue last year, I finally watched it. And it really is a, a funny movie. If you are the type of person who's tired of Disney kind of doing meta commentary about itself, almost in a way to kind of excuse the various tropes that they've created. Uh, I wouldn't recommend Enchanted because it definitely goes down that path. It does, but it's it's a lot of fun. I, I still enjoy it. And Disenchanted is kind of the future life of that princess after her happily ever after, which, you know, cynical world is not so happy after all, or at least she's discontent. Both trailers looked okay to me. I am definitely more, and both, both things we've known about for a long time. So it's not news that these movies are coming out. It is news. Uh, the trailers are news because the trailers are new. And then the bigger news is that they're both coming directly to Disney plus, which I'm honestly a little surprised about. I thought both of these would be, and maybe I just missed the news earlier, but I just assumed both of these would be theater releases. Yeah. I knew that Hocus Pocus two was aiming straight for Disney plus and Hocus Pocus, the original, if you watch it, it feels a lot like a, a made for Disney channel kind of movie that is to true. me. It doesn't, it doesn't, like you could easily think of this as it's a made for TV film, not a cinematic film. So Hocus Pocus 2 didn't really surprise me that much. Disenchanted surprised me more because that was definitely a cinematic film when it came out the first time. Mm-hmm. Oh, I saw it in the theater. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and also we wanted to say like, this is a contrast with what's going on over at Warner brothers discovery where David Zaslav has made it very clear that anything that's going to have a a significant production budget is really going to be dedicated toward cinemas and movie theaters and not so much streaming because of how hard it is to get a good return on investment. If you are making high production value stuff specifically for streaming, Disney apparently has not gotten the memo on that. We know Amazon hasn't because they continue to make the most (laughs) expensive series ever. So Yeah, I, I mean, Disney has a lot of revenue venues, so maybe <laughs> that's true. Able to spread it out a bit more. Yeah, I mean, they do divide it up for the shareholders, right? It's not like Disney just has one giant bucket that yet says money on it. They actually do, you know, break it down by here's here's what the parks, you know, how much the parks cost versus how much they generated. You know, they they have different departments and everything, but still, to your point, it is a multi-billion dollar company that has, you know, it has kind of written the book on how to make money. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I had a thought and I just completely lost it. I mean, I think Disney plus is raising their prices though. So maybe that'll buffer it a little bit. That might, uh, it also like, it's, it's tricky because you also have to continue to attract more subscribers. They're also introducing, uh, I believe they're introducing a, an ad supported tier as well. So you will be able to have a less expensive tier, but there will be ads. 
and then there will be the ad free tier that will you know cost more but you won't have ads in your in your experience it, which is something that Netflix is doing too so we we are seeing yeah, I think some HBO new, Max as well it might be i mean we're definitely seeing some pushes to find different approaches to generating revenue in these uh, streaming models but yeah to your point both of these projects are going straight to Disney plus uh if I'm being honest, I'm more interested in Disenchanted than I am in Hocus Pocus 2. Uh, not that not that I thought Disenchanted swept me off my feet, but the original was entertaining, whereas I feel like I missed the boat on the original Hocus Pocus because by the time I finally watched it, I didn't find a whole lot of entertainment value in it. And I know there are Hocus Pocus fans who would string me up for saying such a... <laughs> Such a such a blasphemous oh. thing, but it just didn't work for me. I'll be stringed up right next to you, Jonathan. Like I'm vig- vigorously shaking my head. You can't see it because I've got my camera turned off and our audience can't hear it. But I I am in agreement with you. Uh, the the next thing that they announced at D twenty three that you highlighted in our notes, Jonathan, is that audiences got to see a teaser for Peter Pan and Wendy, which I am ashamed to say I forgot was even happening. I I don't know that I ever knew it was happening until I was hearing about the D23 stuff. So, yeah, this is a live action remake of Disney's version of Peter Pan. So uh, so it's not as far as I know, they're not going to the original source material. They're not going to the original stage play or then the novelization of that stage play to to tell the story, but rather to go back to the original Disney version of it and retell it that way. And uh, the the thing that excites me most is that Jude Law is playing Captain Hook. And I, I am very curious to see Jude Law's Captain hasn't, Hook. Hasn't he played Captain Hook in something else? Uh, like, I think you, you might be thinking of, uh, you might be thinking of the dude who was, who was um, uh, Draco Malfoy's dad in Harry Potter. Uh, Jason Isaac, I think is his name. He played Maybe. Hook in a, in a previous Peter Pan film uh, and he was brilliant in it. Okay. Okay. Uh, is that the, I don't remember the name of it now. It doesn't matter. Uh, <laughs> I think it might just be called pan, but I can't it might be called pan yeah. or it might be called Peter. Pan. I don't remember. I just remember distinctly the scene he's sneaking up. He's spying on, uh, I think it's Peter Pan and Wendy, but he's spying on someone and there's a little fairy that's landed next to him. And he just very casually without taking his eyes off the folks he's spying on whispers, I don't believe in fairies and the fairy just dies. And I, I thought that's brilliant. I think that's Peter Pan. There was a movie that came out that was pan and it got pretty pan. Duh. <laughs> um, so uh, I, I don't Maybe that was Hugh Jackman in that one. Ah, well, the reason why I even brought this up is because dear listeners, you may not know this, but Peter Pan is Ariel's favorite Disney character. I mean, I know he's a villain. Um, but it doesn't stop me for like just that, that idea of like going away and adventuring without losing time. Yeah. I mean, it's very appealing. Yeah. Whereas captain, captain hook is one of my favorite characters, which is so interesting that Ariel and I are such good friends because our favorite characters are, are arch nemeses to each other. Yeah. Well this, this Peter Pan will dive into Wendy's story. Um, So that is fun. Honestly, I, I think like if I knew about it, it came out with the whole like 
slew of we think that these are going to be made into live action movies uh, rumors that came out years ago mm. along with like hercules which i'm kind of surprised still isn't making it although that that would be quite uh an investment for them to do hercules i don't know yeah if they are. having know if having to set james wood's head on fire over and over would be very <laughs> expensive uh i was i was really curious about your thoughts on this though like like do you have any specific reaction to the idea of a live action remake of Peter Pan or do you not care or? So I do like the story and when it's done well, it's so much fun. I like the the movie Peter Pan that came out in the early two thousands. I like, um, yeah, I like hook. I know you don't like hook Jonathan. Um, and I like, I loved the old stage play, like the old, was it Kathy Rigby? Oh, you mean the one, the, like the original one where you had uh, an actress playing the part of Pan? And yeah. I'm flying. Yes. I don't, I probably got the actress's name wrong, but uh, I, I mean, I, I like Peter Pan. The story is a lot darker in the book. Um, I just, it's been done a lot. And even recently there was an independent film. I don't want to type because I don't want to make everybody listen to it. I think it was called Wendy Bird or something like that. That was kind of a peel off of Peter Pan and Wendy's story. So they're saying that it's, it's this whole new thing of diving deeper into Wendy's story. And I feel like that's been done a couple of times. So yeah, yeah they, they, they talked about how Wendy is essentially Pan's equal in this version so that she's not just a kind of supporting character or a character to whom things happen, but can be a little more proactive. It, I'm curious about that, but like you say, there have been so many different, not just, retellings of Peter Pan, but various like supplemental material invented around Mm -hmm. Peter Pan. Like there have been numerous versions that try and tell Captain Hook's backstory. There are various sequels that have been created. There have been musicals that have been about the creation of Peter Pan itself that incorporate elements of Peter Pan's story into uh, the overall story of the creation of the narrative. It's, it's, it's it's interesting to me that this is one of those tales where there are so many different variations and versions yeah. and spinoffs. I, I, you know, I, I think it's just too early to tell because we did not get to watch the trailer not being at D23. Yeah. Um, I, I don't I don't know. Like, I like that story. It's the same reason I like Doctor Who um, or, you know, uh, Pippi Longstockings or anything like that. So it it's just we'll have to see. We'll have to see. There's a lot of things they announced at D23 that I would have been very interested to to see, such as Elio or Waju, um, some some of the the stuff that is not a remake, that is not a sequel. Um, but they they haven't released that yet, and maybe that's so that it's a little bit more polished once the general public does see it. And I I respect that, but that's the stuff I'm really interested about. Same. So. I mean, like some of the remake stuff, I'm curious about, kind of in the Hey, why is traffic slowed down? Is that a wreck up ahead kind of way? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. like I'm not, I'm not optimistic about being the right audience for it necessarily, but you know, like I am curious about the live action snow white remake. Mm-hmm. I mean, seeing Gal Gadot play a bad guy is kind of an interesting idea. Yeah. Um, I think she'll be great. Yeah. No, I do too. Um, I, other things like that people got a sneak peek at elemental, which is the next Pixar film. It's funny which because it's just inside I, out meets Zootopia. 
Yeah, that's what I thought. When I saw it, I was like, this looks like this looks like Inside Out 2. But, you know, they also announced that there will be an Inside Out Inside 2 out at D23. So maybe they're just making Elemental twice and reskinning all the characters. <laughs> I mean, it's it's supposed to be about, you know, the, the melt like society being a melting pot. So that is a little different than Inside Out 2. That's where I get the Zootopia, Zootopia yeah, vibes totally. from, which we're also getting a Zootopia show for Disney+. Plus. So mm-hmm. um, it'll be interesting to see how they make it different. Uh, yeah. They And then they gave us a bunch of like Marvel trailers and, and Star Wars trailers, which we knew were going to happen, and they were all fine. They've got good casts. None of them actually, honestly, really sparked like my excitement. They all looked good. They all looked like what I was expecting. Yeah, there's some stuff that we didn't get to see. Then that's the stuff that I would be interested in. Like, I want to see a trailer for Ironheart. But we also know that Ironheart is still shooting because they're shooting here in Atlanta. Uh, Before we started recording, I told Ariel that uh, off of Edgewood Avenue, which is not too far from where I live, uh, they created a a fake uh, White Castle which White Castle does not exist in, in Georgia. We don't have White Castles here. And uh, people started to get excited that a White Castle was coming to Atlanta. But in fact, it's a set. And not only that, they're going to blow it up at the end. So spoiler alert, we know an, we know a White Castle is going to explode in Ironheart. Um, not, that, not that they've done it yet, as far as I know, but that's like the word on the street, uh, which is Edgewood Avenue as it turns out. Yeah. So, which is a rumor I completely missed. So well done, Jonathan. <laughs> I mean, I, I, it was just because I was trying to figure out what was shooting on Edgewood Avenue because my wife encountered a, uh, a film crew that was taking a very shiny muscle car down Edgewood Avenue. And my best guess is that it was Ironheart, but I don't know for sure that that was the, it could be some other, so much stuff shoots in Atlanta. It's impossible to say. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We, we always have like over 30 productions here, which is fantastic because there are a lot of people who get jobs off of that. It's, it's, um, it's delightful and not just yeah. me. Um, <laughs> there were things at D23 that did excite us though. Uh, one of which was the new trailer for Willow, which I was like, you better give us a new trailer and a release date for Willow. And they did. Yes. So what what was your thoughts on this? You know, the trailer, uh, it's interesting because back when Willow was made the first time, that was near the dawn of CGI type stuff, right? Like, I think they had like the, the two headed dragon monster was CGI in Willow, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken. I don't think it was stop motion. It's been a long time since I've seen Willow, so I can't I, I can't like- say for sure. If it was if it was CGI, it looked stop motiony. Maybe it was stop motion, and maybe it was a practical effect. I just don't. I can't. It's like I said. I haven't watched that movie in so long, but most of the effects were practical. Obviously, we're in a totally different effects age now, and so uh, for one thing, the look of Willow is more sophisticated than the film version was years ago. Even though this is a series that's also made as a streaming platform series, as opposed to this is, you know, this isn't something that's going to movie theaters. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, the, the actual like depiction of what the story is looks way more epic in scale than the original Willow. It does. So the first, the first time when we got the teaser trailer for Willow, um, I was like, this is everything I wanted the wheel of time Amazon series to be. Uh, (laughs) No offense for people who like wheel of time, not being a reader of those books. Uh, like this Willow, the first Willow trailer hit all of those emotional like 
points that I was expecting. Um, this new trailer is hitting all of my nostalgic emotional points um, because... It, they're bringing back old characters. They're bringing back old themes, but they're doing it in a way where it feels because because it is a, a more sophisticated visual style now. It feels more immersive, uh, and so like instantly, I was invested in the characters and the stories being told within uh, within this new trailer. It's it looks like it's got action. It looks like it's got romance. It looks like it's got humor, um, and I, I'm just super it's still it they put in that serendipity books looking sea dragon in it or whatever the creature is in the trailer that i love like aesthetically just makes me go <gasps> um sorry y'all had to listen to that yes yeah, so i'm very excited about it what about you jonathan uh, i am i th i think it looks like a really fun fantasy series and the fact that willow was an original ip when it came out means that like we're getting a sequel to original IP. It's not like it's the, you know, adaptation of some other story, right? It's not like it's the game of Thrones type stuff, uh, or even the rings of power, which obviously is based off a world created by Tolkien, although not based off of a specific Tolkien story. Um, but this, because it's, it's building on its own mythology makes me more excited because there aren't you're not going in there with like a preconceived idea of what everything is supposed to look like and the kind of the beats that the story is going to follow so they can tell their story however they like and and there's not going to be that reaction right you're not going to be like oh you told it wrong because mm -hmm. this is the first time we're getting it i'm excited about that i want to see more material come out that is um you know, new, that's not like based off some other pre-existing medium. So this, this like, is seeing, halfway there. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, it really is because it's a sequel. It's not, I mean, it's not adapting like a comic book or something. Right. Mm -hmm. And, uh, like this and knives out, <laughs> like, like those are the kind of things that I get really excited about because I'm like, I know generally what to expect from a tone and visual concept, but, the actual story is going to be all new to me and that's exciting. So yeah. I, I like the trailer. Uh, you know, that was the, probably the trailer that came out of D 23 that I was the most excited about the one that we could see anyway. A lot of the stuff at D 23 has not been released to the public. Like I can tell you, I would have loved to have seen even just a teaser for the Marvels. I'm very mm -hmm. curious about that film. Um, uh, they did give us like, you could go on YouTube and see like some information about like Thunderbolts, which is fun. Yeah. You got to see the casting of Thunderbolts. Uh, it's interesting. Yeah. I like, I like knowing that the red guardian is coming back for Thunderbolts. Cause I really liked him in black that's widow. The, like that's really the only him and, and winter soldier and Elena are the only reasons that I'm interested in Thunderbolts. Quite honestly. Uh, I, I'm very curious to see if they add a couple more characters. And I'm wondering if, the fact that those characters weren't mentioned is because it would have been a spoiler for uh, She-Hulk, which is currently <laughs> currently quite, running. Quite possibly. I, I have not watched the very latest episode. Um, but I will tell uh, you this, Ariel. The very latest episode of She-Hulk uh, is fine. Okay. It's fine. But it, it ends with, like, if we didn't know that this certain character is going to show up in She-Hulk already... 
the ending would really get you like squeeing, but we all know this character's showing up. So it's just ah. like, oh, ah, I guess okay. it'll be next episode. It took me a second because, again, I'm, I'm a little sleepy, so I'm a little slow. It took me a second, but okay. Yeah. I, the biggest problem I have with She-Hulk is it feels like the episodes all end very abruptly and that they're very, very short. Like, that's uh, my biggest I, problem with She-Hulk. I kind of get that because it feels like just as the episode is picking up steam, it's over. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah well, that, it, that's that was my biggest problem with this most recent one, um, which, you know, was still cute. Like, I, I like the tone and I like the characterization. Um, I I kind of feel the same way you do. I feel like maybe if the episodes have been at, padded out a bit more so that they felt a bit more substantial, I would I would I would like it more. But I, I like the show just fine. Yeah. Well, there are just a couple of episodes that literally felt like they ended in the middle of a scene to me. Yeah. Um, and th- I, and that's a joke you can pull once, but <laughs> I like, I don't want to give spoilers away so we can talk about it. Not on this podcast for anybody who has not caught up with She-Hulk. I know there are listeners who are not up to date on it because there's so much cool geeky stuff to watch out there. Um, yeah. So we talked about the Willow trailer. We, we are going to talk about the little murmur, 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 murmur. We're going to talk the about little the little heart murmur. murmur. I'm, look, I'm underwater and I'm saying it. Okay. <laughs> Your name is Ariel. Yes, uh, we're going to talk about the Little Mermaid teaser trailer because that ties into our mashup this week. But uh, we're going to talk about one more thing from Disney and then some other geek news because, yes, there was a little bit of other geek news this week um, before we get into that. So the last D twenty three thing we're going to talk about before we move on is the Werewolf by Night trailer, which is different from anything else at D twenty three. It seems. Yeah, so Werewolf by Night is another Marvel title. It's one that is uh, only loosely connected to the overall Marvel universe. Uh, in the, I mean, there's more of a connection in the comics. It appears to be a standalone thing as far as I can tell. Maybe it's not. Maybe it turns out that it's deeply connected to the MCU in the film version, but I don't know. But yeah, uh, Werewolf by Night comes across as a completely different sort of movie both both tonally and content wise than anything else coming out of Disney right now especially anything that's that closely related to the Disney brand because the way Disney usually works whenever it's producing something that's you know more violent or mature is to use one of their subsidiary film distribution uh, companies so that it's not as tightly associated with the brand Disney but this is a Marvel movie, and yet it looks like a, a classic horror monster movie. It it almost looks like a B level movie to me. There there are definitely some some special effects that feel purposefully less than immersive. Yeah, I yeah I feel like it's kind of like the same sort of decisions you saw in um, in the Bram Stoker's Dracula film from decades ago now, but in that film, uh, Francis Ford Coppola famously reused old techniques like classic film era techniques to make special effects. So he was using the same sort of approaches that people in the thirties and forties were using in order to make special effects for their movies. This feels like it's also a throwback to that kind of thing. In fact, it feels like they're trying to tap into the, aesthetic and tone of those classic monster movies like the old universal days. Yeah. 
Yeah, it really does. Um, I'm intrigued. Uh, it's definitely scary. It looks like, I mean, it looks like it's scary to me. So if you're aerial level scary, which is not much uh, tolerance at all, uh, then maybe be prepared. Maybe don't show it to your children. I wonder if they're going to put it behind an age wall like they do Jessica Jones and such. Yeah, I don't know. I, I'm, I thought this would be right up your alley because of your love for monster oh, movies. Oh, yes. Yes. No, I'm, I'm intrigued. I like monster movies. I'm looking forward to it. I, all of that was in my head. I didn't say it out loud, which is great for a podcast. Um, <laughs> it just does look a little scary, like scarier than a lot of the Disney scary stuff. So. Oh, sure. Yeah. It def- it looks more intense. Like while it has the aesthetic of those older classic universal monster movies, uh, it has been updated. You know, it doesn't feel s- as stodgy as some of those movies could feel like, especially the, the lesser titles in that era. Um, it is also in black and white. So it, that's part of the aesthetic that's, that's tapping into, um, or at least the trailer was in black and white. I'm assuming the full movie will be, but yeah, it's, I, I gotta say like, I was shocked by it. Not like, mm-hmm. not like I was put off by it, but just, it was so surprising to see something that intense in a overall Disney Marvel presentation. I agree. I agree. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll have to see as, as more stuff comes out about it. I'm sure there will be at least one other trailer before it drops. Um, so uh, a little bit of not Disney news, which is uh, we got a trailer for season two of Avenue five, which is like Gilligan's Island in outer space, but because it's outer space, all of the consequences are much more dire. Um, and Jonathan, you only watched one episode of Avenue five, right? That is correct. Uh, this is a, 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 the basic premise is you've got a cruise ship, a space cruiser, uh, and the captain, uh, played by Hugh Laurie is essentially a, a fraud, um, it's not that he's willingly perpetuating the fraud, but he's kind of going along with it. And then uh, a, a terrible accident takes out the one actually capable person on the ship. <laughs> Ain't that always the way? And so then the rest of what happens is a bunch of people who are at uh, to varying degrees incompetent attempting to... Uh, to solve a problem that looks like it's unsolvable and it's ostensibly a comedy. I say ostensibly because I watched that first episode and I was not really entertained or amused. Like it, it, maybe it's just the humor doesn't hit me right. I love Hugh Laurie. So I thought his performance was great, but I watched that first episode and I was just like, Oh man, this is not working for me. And I bounced. I, I get it. So it is, it is humor, but it's very dark humor um dark and also a little bit amped up um so it's not quite situational um it is a little cheesy but it's also i mean it's also very dark you're in outer space where no one can hear you scream and you know you get airlocked and you explode right um i I liked it the second trailer for me made me go this has got to be the last season because i don't know how they're going to survive any of these things but i spent the entire first season doing that too i just i don't know it appealed to me and i can't quite put my finger on why 
I mean, uh, I so I watched the trailer, and really the only thing the trailer did was spoil the the fact that uh, characters that appeared in the first episode of season one survive at least until season two. <laughs> cause, cause again, I hadn't watched all of season one. So like, like Josh Gad plays a character in the series uh, and he's incredibly obnoxious, the character, not Josh Gad, uh, yeah. but the character is incredibly obnoxious and he pops up in the trailer. I'm like, Oh, okay. So this guy survived. Um, <laughs> so like, like there were, there were those kind of revelations, but, as I was watching it, I even watching this trailer, I still felt like the humor is just a miss for me. It just, I don't know why it doesn't work. Like maybe it's the tonal difference. The fact that you have this very serious crisis, Mm -hmm. uh, and then you have this overlay of kind of zany humor, sort of like some of the characters are just truly over the top characters. Mm -hmm. And, it doesn't mesh in a way that feels like it all fits together for me. Um, unlike something like say the fourth season of black adder, which is also set in a very grim setting, mm-hmm. but, and it also has over the top characters. Hugh Laurie is also in it. Hey, there's another yeah, connection, hey. but, um, but that one works great for me because the humor seems to fit the situation. And it's a commentary on the situation in Avenue five, you can't really do a commentary cause like space tourism is not nearly to that level. So it, yeah. it just, I don't know. It just doesn't work for me. I get that. I mean, not everything works for everybody. For instance, uh, I don't like the Sims. I find that bleak. I, I mean, I've never played it, but I have enough trouble <laughs> managing my own life. Why would I want to manage somebody else's? So like, that's very popular. Not everything is for everybody. Yeah, and the reason Ariel brings that up is because The Sims 4 is going free to play soon, so that if you are someone who did not purchase The Sims 4, but you've wanted to play it, soon you'll have that opportunity, and then all you'll have to do is pay for all the additional material that you're going to want access to once you have access to the base game. But yeah, no, it's it's funny that you say that, Ariel, because like The Sims, playing The Sims really does start to illustrate some dark truths about general existence, which is that unless you use a cheat code and you get access to unlimited amounts of money. So in the real world, that would be unless you're a billionaire, uh, you cannot achieve all the things you want to do. Like you can't have a satisfying career and uh, a healthy family life and lots of friends and fun hobbies because you just don't have the time and energy to see to all of that. So it's just a series of compromises until you ultimately die. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I. Uh, if you have already bought the game, you can get a couple of free bonuses, uh, minor bonuses. I, yeah, I don't. Yeah, it just goes. Show, not everything is for everybody. Uh, just like our final story before we get to our mashup, which is uh, they are re-releasing Halloween, the original to theaters again this year. Yeah. Yeah. They did it last year. They're doing it again. I don't know what you're saying, Ariel. I think that John Carpenter's Halloween is a fun time for the whole family. It uh, is pop- not the kind of classic monster movie that I enjoy, Jonathan. Yeah, just pile up the kiddos in a car, head off to your local <laughs> cinemaplex. Plop them down with a do bucket that. of popcorn don't. each. Please don't do that. And watch Please. Jamie Lee Curtis be terrorized by a masked 
uh, remorseless killer for two hours. Please, please don't do that. I mean, I'm sure there are some kids who would enjoy it. This adult just is scared by it. So, uh, it's so interesting to me that this movie spawned an entire franchise. Uh, it is one of the first slasher films, like, Arguably, Halloween is the first truly modern slasher. The predecessors would include stuff like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but Halloween had more of the earmarks that we would associate with the slasher genre as a whole. And movies, movie series like Friday the 13th would uh, ape Halloween. Like they, they were essentially mimics of Halloween. And um, yeah, the it's the, the there's actually very few kills compared to like a modern horror movie, but the tension is pretty strong in that film. And the soundtrack, that simple staccato piano theme from for uh, Myers is one of the most iconic and effective bits of movie music that I can think of. I agree. The The scoring for it is is very effective. That's uh, part of the reason it scares me so much. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a, a a good slasher movie. Like it's hard for me to say it's a great film because I I really do also feel it's a product of its time and that the pacing and the uh, style of the film probably it, it wouldn't appeal to a lot of modern horror movie fans. Maybe I don't know. It's hard to say because like I grew up with that movie being fresh. So it's my perception is very different than if I were to just come at it today, having never seen it before. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, that's all I have to say on that because again, I'm not a huge, I've, I've only seen the first movie through like my fingers. I haven't watched the rest of them. I've seen most of them and I have funny stories about seeing some of the worst ones in the theater <laughs> because because I saw it in a theater filled with people who were not afraid to comment on the film. And it was like being in an MST3K episode except for real and nobody had seen the movie before. Uh, That's fun. If, that was if, fun. If you don't mind it, like if you no. if you really want to listen to the movie, it's not fun at all. But. Well, yeah, if the movie had been even remotely good, I'm sure I would have found it irritating, but the movie was so bad that this was the only way it was going to be entertaining. And <laughs> to this day, it's one of my favorite theater going experiences I've ever had. But like you say, Ariel, it has to be under very specific circumstances for that to work. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, that was all of our news mostly except for our mashup news and what we are mashing up this week is the little mermaid because we got the teaser trailer for the live action little mermaid and yep. squid games because uh they won an award an emmy for outstanding lead actor in a drama series which by the way i find interesting because uh, i was telling ariel this before we started recording uh, i I had watched the most of the first episode of Squid Game, like maybe half of the first episode, and I had turned it off. And this was already after folks were really talking about Squid Game when it initially came out on Netflix. And so I was late to the party already. I watched about half the first episode. And then I you know, I stopped it because I had to do something and I just never went back to it for the longest time. And 
the only thing that I remembered was how over the top the lead actor's performance was like whenever he was expressing things like insincere remorse or he was complaining like he was playing the victim, like like he didn't want to take responsibility for his own bad choices and he was playing the victim. It was so over the top that uh, I found it distracting. Like it almost was like if you see a theater actor who's used to playing to the back row in enormous theater houses, then have to do a close up video <laughs> and you're like, wow, dial it back. <laughs> That's kind of how I felt watching gotcha. it. Uh, but I've since gone back and watched more of it and I really enjoy it. But at the same time, I'm still like amazed that that got, and that the lead actor got an award for acting uh, just because the style is so very different from what we typically think of as great acting in the West. I mean, but you, you've got to recognize, you know, excellence in, in other styles of storytelling. Sure. Um, so I, 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 I love that. I, I think so. It's just, it's just amazing that people, enough people voted that way. Right. Like, yeah. cause you, we, especially when you're looking at Western uh, uh, award shows, there's obviously a clear um, preference for Western styles and anything that's outside of that has a harder time uh, winning awards. But in this case he did, which is fantastic. Congratulations. Um, and, and yeah, the actual, the actual story of squid game is, right up my alley. I, I describe it as the combination of battle Royale and the novella, the running man, not, not the Arnold Schwarzenegger movie, but the novella that that movie is loosely based off of. You see, like it's on my list of things to watch. I, I have not watched squid game. I'm going to be quite honest. I picked it because squids are in the ocean. And so is the little mermaid. Um, what? <laughs> what? Uh, <laughs> but I, I do worry because battle Royale is fine. But I, I do like I have a very short limit for media that's stuff like The Running Man or The Long Walk or or things where it's it's like dystopian pit person against person for survival. I don't know. It just makes me feel icky. That's going to be a tough one for you for this. The series will be tough for you. I'll, yes. I'll just say it like it's not I'm not trying to tell you not to watch it, but that. You know, that certainly is a factor that plays out in the series without giving anything away. Uh, so, yeah, if you have like, you know, the, the big thing about those stories typically is that you start off with a large number of people and the losses early on. You might have a couple of characters that you're you're sad to see go early on. But generally speaking, it's like you have your protagonist and then a bunch of people that you don't really know. So you don't care that much about. And then as the group gets whittled down, you start to care more and more because at least a few people tend to be important to the story and thus we care about them more. Yeah. And that's where it starts to really get uncomfortable. And that definitely, I can, I'm not through with Squid Game, but I can definitely see that's where it's going. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm aware that's, that's honestly like, I have to be in the right mindset to watch it. Totally. Um, I, I was in the right mindset to watch the teaser trailer for The Little Mermaid. Um, honestly, like, you you know, it took me a while to warm up to The Little Mermaid. My name's Ariel. I was seven when the movie came out. Don't do the math. Uh, good listeners. Um, my best friend was named Eric, and he did, at the time, like, 
he didn't want to be my friend much longer after that. Um, and and honestly, I kind of I didn't like the Disney story. I felt like it was this spoiled girl who did a bunch of bad decisions with no repercussions. Because um, I, I was used to the Hans Christian Andersen version. I know that's really deep for a seven-year-old, but it's it's something I clung to as a child growing up. But uh, I loved the music. And honestly, I am really excited for this this live-action version. It might be one of the live-actions I'm most excited about. I really love the casting. Um, Davy Diggs as Sebastian... Uh, Halle Bailey as the Little Mermaid because these are these are people who actually have the acting and the singing chops. Um, there have been so many live action Disney movies where like they're either really great actors or they're really great singers, and it's not necessarily both. But um, I think Halle sa- sounds amazing um, in in the little bit we get to hear. I think she emoted beautifully. I think just visually, it's stunning. So this OG Ariel super approves of the new Ariel. Um. Uh, yeah, yeah, same here. I mean, okay, full disclosure, there's a little bit of a run at the end of part of your world that I could do without, but that's because I have a pet peeve about vocal runs <laughs> where the the phrase I've often used is just because you can doesn't mean you should. <laughs> but um, But that's... That's that's my own personal preference. Like it's why if Mariah Carey comes on the radio, I have to get out of the general area as fast as possible. So it has it's nothing to do with her because her her vocal ability uh, and like you said, her emoting is fantastic. And I think it's a great choice, you know, to go with her for the the character. So uh, I'm also curious because like Little Mermaid was the film that made me fall back in love with Disney because by the time when, when little mermaid came out, that was at a time where Disney animation was kind of in a lull. It, it had not really been striking a chord with audiences for several years. Like those were the Don Bluth years. And it's not that Don Bluth did bad work. It's just those movies just didn't become classics the same way they have their fans. Like there are people who will, they're ride or die Oliver and company fans. Right. Mm-hmm. I am not one of them. Um, so for me, like when Little Mermaid came out, I was not interested in seeing it because Disney animation, that reputation had fallen a very far way in a lot of people's eyes, including mine. And then I went and saw Little Mermaid like opening weekend because my family demanded we go see it. And I was floored. I was absolutely floored by that, partly because Ashman and Minkin, who did the the music. They also did uh, little shop of horrors and you can tell cause there's a lot of similarities in the music. Um, but, uh, it, it totally won me over. And while I typically don't like live action remakes of Disney films, just cause I don't see the necessity, this trailer looked really good. And I yeah. am curious to see how they tell that story in this n- other format. Um, uh, and, and what performances come through, because I know they're going to be different from the original, but different could mean, you know, uh, enchanting in a whole new way. Yes. And I'm also super excited because unlike some other live actions where they've taken out the music that we love or they've changed it or whatnot, Lin-Manuel Miranda, they're, they're keeping all the stuff we love in because that's the best part of Little Mermaid is the songs, right? Mm-hmm. Um, 
Lin-Manuel Miranda has written a few other songs for it, and I really like the music that he's written for Disney overall. I mean, not every song has been a win. Uh, his uh, a, a book is not just the cover or what it, whatever it was for Mary Poppins Returns was just okay. But um, yeah, all the songs in Mary Poppins Returns were just okay. <laughs> it, tr- okay, that's true. But it was still fun. Um, but I'm I'm re- he's a big fan of the Little Mermaid. I'm really excited to see what he brings to it. I. One of our friends said that he's also playing the cook, which uh, I haven't confirmed, but would be really cool if that's true. Yeah, I hope he gave Ursula another song. Me too. She should have she should have like 12 more songs because good Lord, Poor Unfortunate Souls might be my favorite Disney song of all time. If it's not my favorite, it's definitely in the top five because that is a great villain song. It's a really good song. Yeah, I agree. Um and it's just it's 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 accessible. Um, most people can sing it, which I think is great. Yeah, I've definitely done it at karaoke. <laughs> yeah, there, I mean, like there are Disney songs that I love and I try to sing them and I sound like um, a mouse who got punched in the throat. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this yeah, is not I'm wishing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, but yeah, we have those are our two things that we're mashing together is the little mermaid and squid game ariel uh who would you like to go first i'll i'll go first okay uh, i like i said i haven't watched squid games i'm very vaguely familiar with it uh so i, I apologize in advance uh something i like to do before my mashups it makes me feel better um <laughs> no i should stop but okay something's fishy with this squid is the title sure the little mermaid had a checkered past Gambling away her voice and inheritance on a cute guy, making deals with shady sea creatures, generally being self-centered, but she had also paid her dues and was now living her best part-time mermaid life. And that's why Ariel was completely surprised one day when she was snatched up from lounging in some sunny shallows by a fishing net and knocked out. When she came to, she was in a large glass container full of water. In front of her were... It looked like a bunch of matching mermaids standing on dry land. And all of a sudden there was a sequential beeping and the mermaids started walking and running towards her. She opened her mouth to scream for help, but her voice was amplified and echoed and a couple of the mermaids exploded. The rest of them just stopped moving. <laughs> Sorry. I just, the mental image of Jesus is so innocuous and then just exploding mermaids. I'm sorry. Please continue. <laughs> As the surviving mermaids made their way once more towards a silent aerial, she could see now that they weren't mermaids, but were in fact land folk in matching green tracksuits. She opened her mouth once again, voice amplified again, with most of the humans stopping and the ones who didn't once again exploding. Ariel hated this and she pleaded for them to stop or help her. And she was so conflicted about it too, because she wanted out, but she just didn't want all of these poor humans to die. So she finally decided her death count was enough and the best thing to do would be to stay silent just like her first foray into the human world proper. The remaining track-suited humans all made it safely past her tank, and Ariel felt a small amount of temporary relief as she was wheeled indoors into a large office while the track-suited humans all went somewhere else she wasn't sure. Once she got into this indoor office, she was faced to glass with a looming individual in a black suit, a one sea witch named Ursula, who had disappeared from the underwater realms after she exhausted her clients and welcomed there, and now was collecting debts on dry land via a murderous game she was calling the Squid Game, 
Okay, yes, I know technically she was part octopus, but she needed some anonymity, even though she was in a different land. Ariel banged on the glass to no avail. She opened her mouth to explode Ursula like she did the humans, but again, to no avail. She thought all was lost, and just then, the door burst open to Ursula's office by a gaggle of seagulls, crustaceans, amphibians, who quickly threw a sheet over Ariel in her tube. She didn't know why, but immediately following those animals were some government agents. They had gotten an anonymous call in Morse code, because animals can't talk, about some underground gambling murdering happening and followed it here. The government agents arrested Ursula for her illegal death games and left. The ragtag bunch of creatures quickly rolled Ariel in her containment tube out of the warehouse and out to the sea where she was released. Ariel decided to write a memoir to be turned into a show, with names and images changed, of course. And other than that, she never looked back, not even to figure out what happened to the surviving human contestants. The end. <laughs> All right, I, I do have a question for you. Yes, I probably I, I will make up an answer for you. No, no, this one you'll have an answer for because okay. this is this is this is more of a meta question, which is how weird is it to read out a synopsis where your own name appears multiple times, but it's covering a different character? Is there separation for you where you're not that doesn't even enter into your head or does it feel weird? Um, I, I honestly writing it, it felt weird, uh, because I, I have so many times growing up been called the little mermaid, especially after I, I for anybody who doesn't know, I'm naturally blonde, but I have red hair now as on what not to wear quite a few years ago. Um, so ever since then, like, yeah, I'm just the little mermaid. Uh, <laughs> apparently whenever I lose my voice, I help people like, oh, did Ursula steal your voice? It's fine. I've, <laughs> I've accepted it. Um, it was a little weird to write, right? I honestly, um, debated whether I was going to put my name in there or not. Cause it was, it was a really weird thing to process. Mm -hmm. Reading it was fine though. Like by that point I was into the story. I was in narrator mode and I was separated from myself. So. Cool. Yeah. I was really curious. Cause as I was listening to it over and over, like when I'm writing mine, it was one of those where I was like, do I put a joke in here where I'm talking specifically about the character and not about my co-host? Uh, and ultimately I decided not to go that route Aww. because, well, only because I felt like, you know, it's, I do a lot of obvious jokes already, so I might as well drop one of them. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay. Well then here is mine. Uh, mine is called the little squid game. And uh, here we go. <clears throat> Ariel has a problem, but at least she's not in debt. No, she's got gadgets and gizmos aplenty. She's got whozits and watsits galore. So she's financially secure and has no monetary-related weight on her slim shoulders. But she still has a problem. She wants to be where the people are. Oh, uh, Ariel's a mermaid. I, I probably should have led with that. Yeah, she's half fish. Uh, the lower half. I mean, it'd be weird if it was like, I don't know, the left half. But no, she's got like a fish tail. And because we always wish for what we can't have, what she really wants to do is explore the surface world. But she can't because, you know, mermaid. Okay, so uh, anyway, one day she's moping about this and this moray eel pops up out of like nowhere and asks her to play a game. And she's like, listen, pal, I like games and all, but you're like, crazy gross no offense and the eel's like how am i not supposed to be offended and she's like <laughs> whatevs and the eel's like 
You think it's my fault they drew me like this? Never mind. If you play the game and win, I'll give you this. And the eel moves aside to show her a vest. Or, if you're from the UK, a waistcoat. And it's a brocade with like brass buttons and fancy embellishments, and it's totally not the kind of stuff you typically find in the ocean. Ooh, says Ariel. I'll play. And thus, the game begins. And it's that common children's game. You know the one where the two players each have a seashell, and one player puts their seashell on the sea floor, and the other player has to throw their seashell at the other player's seashell on the sea floor and try and see if they can make it turn over. And if the seashell turns over, then that player wins. Otherwise, player two gets to pick up their seashell, and they try to do the same thing with player one's seashell, and it goes back and forth. Now, the deal is, if Ariel wins, she gets the vest. Or waistcoat, if you're in the UK. But if the eel wins, it gets to slap her in the face. And so Ariel takes a turn and throws her seashell down at the other shell, but fails to turn it over. So the eel goes and wins that round and slap! The eel tail goes right across Ariel's face. Ariel wipes her stinging cheek and says, let's go again. And they do. And again, Ariel's throw produces no result, but the eel hurls its shell down and flips Ariel's shell over and slap. And we see a montage, including a bit where the eel says, girl, I'm going to slap the red out of your hair until finally Ariel with cheeks red from multiple slaps manages to make a throw that flips the eel's shell over. She finally wins the waistcoat. And while she celebrates, the eel casually says, what if I told you there's a game you could play that would win you much, much more? And Ariel pauses, and the eel continues. What if I told you this game could win you the chance to go up to the surface world and move around to become a human? And Ariel's eyes go wide. This is what she has dreamed of, but was convinced was an impossibility. How do I play, she says. The eel smiles because Ariel has taken the bait, and she's on the hook, and it's time to reel her in and other fish puns. Visit Ursula, the eel says. The sea witch? asks Ariel. She has many powers, and she wants to meet you, says the eel. And so Ariel sets out across the sea to the fair lair of Ursula, the sea witch. Uh, this lair has all these weird geometric shapes painted on it, like squares and circles and triangles. And so Ariel goes inside to meet Ursula herself. Now, Ursula is not a mermaid. No, she has the lower half of a tentacled monstrosity. Not an octopus, though, because she has eight tentacles. And when you add in her two arms, that means she's got ten extremities, which makes Ursula a squid. And Ursula spells out what Ariel must do. <clears throat> and you knew it was going to be a musical, folks. <clears throat> if you wish to join the humans on the surface, there's one easy way for you to get your wish. Just listen to my claims and join our little games. You win, you get the prize and your top fish. True? Yes. Then you'll be a mermaid no longer. You can pop on out and explore the distant lands. You can go for a short stroll. It really is quite droll. You'll exchange your fins for a pair of gams. Now sign over control. There's just three rules. You must win every game. You cannot leave once it starts unless all 
agree to be tools. Just sign over control, and soon you'll be dancing with a handsome prince or running from a mob on your brand new legs, don't you see? Now if you decide to choose, you must know that if you lose, I shall be harsh and then I'll take my toll. Yes, there is a bit of risk, but don't delay, dear. Do be brisk and just sign over control. And Ariel, swept up in this half-assed parody of an amazing Ashman Minkin song, does just that. She signs an agreement and next thing she knows, she's unconscious from some mysterious ink shot out by Ursula. And she wakes up with a bunch of other fish and merfolk and assorted sea creatures and everyone's been assigned a number. Ariel is 456, the last of all the numbers assigned. And everyone is a bit confused. It's clear they've all signed on to Ursula's games, but no one quite knows what to expect. And then they're all ushered into the first game, and it's called Red Light, Green Light. But this is underwater, and also it's like way before traffic lights were invented, so it's really confusing how this game got its name, but it doesn't matter, they actually all know how to play. Anyway, at one end of the playing field is a nasty-looking barracuda, and the players start on the other end, and when the barracuda turns its tail toward the players, they can rush forward, but when the barracuda turns around and looks at them, everyone has to stop in place, and if anyone is seen moving, they're going to be out of the game. And so the game begins, and Ariel, being a little uncertain, is kind of cautiously hanging to the back of the crowd and goes a little slower, which means it's easier for her to stop when the barracuda begins to turn around. But some of the more enthusiastic participants are caught out, and that's when terrible things happen. See, when the fish and merfolk are caught out, they end up getting netted and dragged off by these nasty-looking evil fish, and they're begging for mercy the whole time, but they are pulled into a giant cauldron that has a big old heavy lid on it, and whatever else is in that cauldron can't be nice because the screaming inside doesn't last very long. Jeez. Yikes. And so the game continues, and Ariel makes progress, but she falters at one point when she spots her friend Flounder, who's also apparently in the game. What are you doing here, she asks. And Flounder says, I want to be the lead in this upcoming movie called Finding Nemo, but I totally botched my audition, says Flounder. Well, the two manage to make it across the finish line just before time is up on the game, but by that time, more than half of the playing field has been wiped out. So 456 players began, but just over 200 remain. And then we go through a whole bunch of different games. Uh, there's Sharks and Minnows. There's a Belly Flop competition. Uh, the Marco Polo contest is particularly lively, and each game whittles down more players until it's down to just a few. And now it's time for the Squid Game. What is the Squid Game? Well, it's simple. You've got a box that represents a castle, and that's where the defending team stands, and you've also got a triangle that's at the top of the castle, but this overlaps a circle, which is the headquarters for the offense. And then in the middle of the castle, you've got a pair of rectangles that almost touch, but they don't quite touch. There's a gap in the middle. And if you swim across this pair of rectangles, you get all your fins, but otherwise you have to only use half your fins. Also, the offensive team needs to get over it to the bit where the triangle and the circle on the other end overlap, but don't touch the lines or you're out. Simple, right? Okay, no, it's... It's actually pretty complicated, and it's likely to result in lots of bruises and abrasions, or maybe worse, but this is actually a game they play in South Korea, so that's crazy. Anyway, 
Uh, Ariel ends up having to play against Flounder because they're put on separate teams, and her team wins, so she watches as Flounder is netted and shoved into the cauldron, and it's all very sad. But Ariel wins her legs, and so she turns into a human at the bottom of the ocean. She rapidly swims up because she can't breathe water anymore, and she gets up on the beach and collapses, and she's found by a handsome prince who takes her to his castle, and there she is brought to dinner, which she is told is a special treat because the kitchen managed to get hold of this amazing stew made by this local artisan, and it's supposed to have a lot of everything in it, and Ariel goes quiet with dread as she sees what is clearly a fish stew served to her, and in her bowl is a little yellow fin, a little fin that looks like it might have belonged to her friend Flounder. Oh, and then Ariel dies from the bends because she went up from the deep to the surface too quickly. The end. She's Louise, Jonathan. <laughs> what? My what? heart. It can't take it. <laughs> I mean, based on the tone of Squid Game, I felt like that's the only ending I could get to. Yeah, that's that's appropriate. Uh, I, also, there was such good humor in there. I love the fact that Flounder botched his little Nemo audition. Really amazing <laughs> job. Uh Really amazing job. Thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah. I spent way too much time on my poor, unfortunate souls <laughs> parody. And so uh, you might have noticed that the ending was a little rushed there. And that's what happens when Jonathan spends way too much time trying to think of terrible song parodies. <laughs> oh, man. Well, now you're making me rethink my all song parodies episode, Jonathan. Uh, I have to give it some Uh-oh. thought. Wow. Yeah. We might we might need to have like. A month's worth of lead time in that. Hey, that actually reminds me, before we go into our whole outro spiel, uh, we're going to be off for a couple of weeks. And the reason for that is that I will actually be out of town and will be unable to record for the following two Fridays because my vacation just happens to span those next two Fridays. So I wanted to let all of you know, including Ariel, that that was going to happen. But... If, if you're new to the show, there's lots of old episodes you can listen to. If you're not new to the show, uh, but you caught us when we started on iHeart, there's still a lot of old episodes you could listen to. Or you could check out our video series on YouTube. Yeah, yeah. There's some really fun videos. Like, every now and then I'll go back and watch them because enough time has passed where, like, I can't... Like, I remember generally the jokes that we did, but I don't remember exactly. And the timing on some of those episodes is absolutely brilliant. Like, just the the amount of time between setup and punchline. Um, and whenever I see that, I, I think, gosh, we used to be funny. I want to do that again. <laughs> what the videos again? Yeah. I would love to, we'll have to, what we'll have to do is we'll have to get together and figure out like the, the best way to do it. And maybe even write like several so that we can maybe batch produce a few so yeah. that way we're not because obviously the challenge there is that you produce one, you release it, and then weeks go by before you can do it again. Uh, but if you want to see uh, our video series come back, if you have your own opinions on how The Little Mermaid or uh, and Squid Game should be mashed up or any other mashups that should happen, you should write us. Yes, you can do that on the social medias. Uh, on Facebook and Instagram, we are Large Nerdron Collider. Over on Twitter, we are LNC underscore podcast. Is that right? Yes. Okay. I, I, I started saying it and then it just vanished from my brain, Ariel. Oh, goodness. And eventually we will get an email set up as well. Uh, 
just make sure you know if you if you write to us tag us so that we catch it um if you like the show tell your friends share episodes leave us a review or a rating on your favorite podcasting service all of that's very helpful to get more people listening and more geekiness swirling yep and until next time I have been Jonathan. I pull out what's inside and I serve it up fried because I love little fishies, don't you, Strickland? And I have been Ariel, uh, uh, Caston. The Large Nerdron Collider was created by Ariel Caston and produced, edited, Published, deleted, undeleted, published again, cursed at, by Jonathan Strickland. Music by Kevin McLeod of Incomptech.com.